Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about Wilder Girls by Rory Power from 2019. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that, and be aware that we read an extract in this episode that contains some pretty strong body horror. So, take that as you will. Enjoy! Good afternoon, Adam. Good afternoon, Ren. How are you feeling? I am underslept, um, and I just managed to spill milk all over my kitchen, but otherwise I'm all right. Was it dairy milk or uh, a different uh, it, it was, yeah. I'm, um, I'm making milk kefir um, in oh. my, my latest fermenting project, um, uh, I didn't know you had fermenting projects. Oh yeah, no, this is this is my uh, my new thing. One of my uh, pandemic hobbies is uh, is fermenting. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I've been making kombucha and sauerkraut and uh, all kinds of things, and now I'm onto uh, kefir. Nice, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, no, obviously great. the spilling onto the floor isn't exciting. That's a bit sad. Yeah, but um. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a very good hobby. I'm enjoying it a lot. It sort of combines cooking and kind of uh, I don't know science and like leaving things in jars and um, it's kind of gross and kind of fascinating. And also, you get to eat stuff. So yeah, that's yeah. great. I can I can see all of that appealing to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, mm. I've been doing my volunteering this morning at the local primary school, um, uh-huh. which involves me listening to children read. Um, occasionally, fun. I'll try to kind of sneak in some Ursula Le Guin, so I kind of go in with a copy of Cat Wings, and if uh. they've got their book, I'll be like, ah, oh, Cat Wings, um, <laughs> and get them to read that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's nice to hear a variety of different children's books and you know the kids mm. are very endearing. They say they say some so some interesting things. So one 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 of the girls last week, um, we were reading a book about this. I don't know if it was self published. It was this sort of autobiography um, by a guy who painted elephants in Africa. Uh, I never heard of him, but you know he 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 sets off um, to Africa, paints some elephants, and this autobiography has. Stuff by his childhood, and so there are photos, and one of these photos was him as a baby, and mm-hmm. obviously being a baby, it was naked, and um, the girl says, "Ah, oh, you know that's that's a bit rude. The baby's naked," and I said, "Well, you know, it's a baby. You know, babies, babies are are naked. So we, you know, we're all born naked." And she said, "Oh, hmm. You know, well, maybe we should be born wearing clothes." <laughs> and I said, "Well, yeah." I said, "Well, I don't really know. You know, who would." would put the clothes on the baby in the womb 
you know like i don't <laughs> i don't know how, how how that would work um and then she sort of thought about it and said well in a way skin is kind of a human's clothes <laughs> so yeah oh, i i said that that's very interesting and creepy <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, which which you know she wasn't offended by. I think she she agreed. <laughs> oh, a, a children's horror fan in the in the making there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought so. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, actually, I've been um, so I I don't I I'd previously been very wary of Brit Box because as my stepdaughter says it, it sort of seems inherently quite nationalistic, like, uh, British TV, we have the best British TV Britbox, and it also <laughs> is a bit Brexity, but um, when when I, we, me and Antonia tried moving to the Netherlands, um, we kind of got Britbox, we thought, you know, it would give us some kind of sense of home and be kind of comforting, and actually we didn't really watch any of it in the Netherlands, we watched uh, some Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, but anyway, we realised that Antonia still has it, she's still been paying for it, so we thought, oh, we'd better actually watch some of it, then get some <laughs> use out of it. Um, and immediately, obviously, I was drawn to the old kind of children's TV and ITV kids' programmes, and mm. I've rediscovered WYSIWYG. <laughs> Do you remember um, WYSIWYG? Um, I don't think so, but okay. maybe... It might jog my memory if I... Okay, so so it's written by um, Mallory Blackman. You know, the same writer as Nought Crosses. Oh, okay. So, you know, uh-huh. she's a respectable kids writer. And <laughs> WYSIWYG is a, kind of an alien and looks a bit like a kind of pink disembodied skull covered with a bit of kind of patchy mottled fur. Um, <laughs> puppet looks a bit like it's been found in the trash. Um looks kind of dirty and she's got these sort of tiny little little ineffectual hands kind of sticking out from the bottom of her head but and she flies it's a yeah. really big if you imagine a kind of decapitated bush baby with tiny doll's hands grafted to its underside um yeah i'm looking at a photo now okay. and that's yeah that's that's accurate so so this isn't jogging it you don't think no i don't think i encountered okay. WYSIWYG. As my brother and sister don't remember WYSIWYG either, so maybe I was one of one of very few viewers <laughs> at the time. But the um, the gimmick with WYSIWYG is that she grants wishes, but monkey paw style, that only wishes you don't want to come true, uh, particularly inadvertent wishes. So if you say like, oh. As the as the little boy in it, he says, you know, oh, I wish for a new bike. And Wizzywick has this really irritating, slightly kind of smug, passive-aggressive voice. And she's, you know it doesn't work like that, Ben. I can't grant wishes that you wish for yourself. Um, <laughs> but then if you make an accidental wish, like if you're like, oh, God, you know, I wish it wasn't so hot. Then Wizzywick would be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And like, you know, make the temperatures freezing cold or whatever. Um, huh, what? So like, you know, early on, Ben's like, uh, or Ben's mum says, oh, I wish, you know, the neighbour, oh, I wish she did have two tongues. And then, you know, she grows another tongue and starts screaming because she's got another mm. tongue in her mouth. Um, wow, and that's fairly demonic. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's the thing. Like, they're only 
And WYSIWYG makes it quite clear early on that she basically harvests wishes <laughs> to reconstruct her spacecraft. So she's landed on Earth <laughs> and she needs to eat wishes in order to give the energy to make her spaceship. So she only sees humans as batteries. Like she mm. clearly has no other interest in humanity apart from to restore her craft. Um, and probably the most disturbing episode, which is awful really, is there's this sort of bully... Um, who is played by a kid who looks about 10 years older than the rest of the cast. Like, he's a bit like Jimbo or someone in The Simpsons, you know. And now it looks like he's been held back about 10 years. Um, so no wonder he's unhappy. And uh, some of the kids say, ah, oh, you know, I wish you would turn into a donkey so the teacher could see what a stupid donkey you are. And when she wish, Wig hears a wish, she goes, ah. She sort of does it, ah. Sigh. And then these... <laughs> stars come out of her eyes they like sparkle and the wish is granted so this kid is turned into a donkey um and then like um because 16 of the kids wished it it's going to take 16 days for wizard to turn him back into a human and uh ben goes to the teacher and he's really worried and says oh what's going to happen to the donkey and the teacher says well i guess the rspca are going to have to pick the donkey up and he says well what's going to happen then he says well hopefully someone will adopt it but if not they're going to have to put him to sleep. Uh, and Ben's like, what? No! And she said, how long will that take? She said, well, I don't know, about two weeks maybe. It's like, WYSIWYG, you said it will take 16 days. He's going to get put to sleep. And uh, he's like, we're going to be murderers, WYSIWYG. And WYSIWYG's just like, hmm, put to sleep, that sounds nice. And then just goes to sleep, like smiling. <laughs> And Ben's like, WYSIWYG, no! And yeah, WYSIWYG does not give a damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's not quite a children's horror, but in terms of, like, they, it's really committed to WYSIWYG's being very alien. Like, WYSIWYG really <laughs> Complete, has very uh, little... Indifference yeah. to human life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's quite <laughs> funny because Ben clearly kind of tries to protect WYSIWYG and gets upset if, like, you know, WYSIWYG's in danger of getting hurt and clearly considers WYSIWYG a friend. And Antonio <laughs> keeps saying, God, I don't think Ben's picked up on the fact that WYSIWYG does not care about him. <laughs> WYSIWYG just ha- has no feeling for humanity. <laughs> it's like, oh, the- these batteries are interesting. I wonder what I can make them do. <laughs> Yeah, I'd kind of recommend it. It's on BritBox, uh, so so a bit of a detour at the start of the episode. But I wanted to talk about it because it, yeah, it's been giving yeah. me quite a lot of pleasure over the last week. I think that's an honourable mention for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I've actually edited. I think I emailed it to you. I've edited together a short sort of horror trailer with clips from Wizzy Weeks. So <laughs> if, if listeners, if you go on to <laughs> I've caught the WYSIWYG bug. So if you go onto YouTube and search for WYSIWYG horror, um, it'll, I'm sure it'll come up with my video and you can watch it and <laughs> see what I'm talking about. Amazing. <laughs> okay, but that's not really yeah. what we're meant to be talking about. No, it? well, <laughs> I enjoyed it nonetheless, but uh, our, our, um, <laughs> our actual topic for this week is uh, Wilder Girls, uh, which is a New York Times best-selling young adult novel uh, by Rory Power from 2019, um, which was another one that I uh, found by searching uh, 
for young adult horror in my library app and uh, came up uh, this this along with out of salem um and um and i thought it'd be worth worth talking about so yeah it's um set on a an isolated girls boarding school called Raxter School for Girls uh which is located off the coast of Maine and um Maine is on the northeastern tip of the United States which uh, I had I had no concept of where Maine was so um, I googled it and that is where it is um okay so I I guess I had a vague understanding that it was New England um, yeah. which I kind of associate with Kurt Vonnegut I suppose mm-hmm. um um, yeah, <clears throat> Maine seems to be sort of right, sort of right, nudging up into Canada. Like, yeah, it's as it's as far as you can go up. So very forest, forested and cold, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, I think of those, you know, like in Twin Peaks, those Douglas fir trees. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the the vibe we're we're getting here, and it's. And it's on this little island by itself. But um, when when the story begins, the school has been in quarantine for 18 months after being hit with an epidemic of the tox, which is a kind of horrible sort of shape-shifting illness that has killed most of the adults and made the woods and the wildlife outside the school gate sort of strange and dangerous and uh, transformed the bodies of the, the girls in the school with various mutations. Um, they're sustained by meagre food deliveries from the army base on the mainland, but it's only enough food to just keep them alive, and only the small group of girls designated as boat shift are allowed to venture beyond the school gates to retrieve the deliveries because of all the dangerous wildlife. Um, uh, there are two remaining teachers, which is the headmistress, who still retains some air of distant authority despite the transformation of the school and Miss Welch, uh, a younger teacher who has taken on the daily responsibilities. Um, the Inevitably offer... associated in my mind with grape juice. <laughs> yes, yes. Just, just imagine her <laughs> carting about a carton of Welch's all the time. At all times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... Maybe, yeah, they replaced it with paraffin in the absence of actual grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, that would be more in keeping. With yeah. <laughs> um, the, the older girls have taken on new roles within the school. There's the boat shift and the gun shift who uh, watch from the roof and shoot any animals who have been made wild with the tox and try to break into the school. Um, I think those are the roles we know about. There's... Pr- I guess there's others, but those those are the ones taken by our, our three main characters, who are Hetty, who has lost an eye to the tox, or oh, it's kind of, uh, sort of gummied up, gummied up and become covered over with with skin. I guess. Uh, um, uh, is it, does she have a second? I can't remember. Does she have like a a, a second eyelid? Oh, well, maybe. Yeah. Her, her best friend, Byatt, who has grown a, a second spine, and um, Reese, who is this kind of spikier one who holds herself apart from the others, and who has a, a hand that's been transformed into kind of silvery scales. Um, 
And the kind of instigating incident, really, for the book is that Hetty is chosen to join Boat Shift over Reese. And when she finally goes beyond the gates of the school for the first time, um, she starts to ask questions about the tox and where it came from and what the role of the girls in the school really is. Um, yeah. Um, and that's kind of how the how the plot <laughs> unravels with Hetty and um, and the other girls sort of trying to get deeper into the mystery of what the tox is and um, where it came from and why it's happening. And um, I mean, we can talk about it a bit as we go. Yeah, um, I mean, what what do you think of the premise? Because I've seen the inevitable comparisons to Lord of the Flies, but it actually, <laughs> that doesn't seem quite right to me. It almost seems closer to the drifting classroom than Lord of the Flies, in as much <laughs> as with Lord of the Flies there aren't any teachers, whereas here there are still remnants of authority, and at first mm. they're still trying to run the school as a school. Um you know, and to be fair to the teachers in The Wilder Girls, they uh, they seem to, you know, do a bit better than the teachers in the drifting classroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely it's it's definitely not about. Uh, well, it's the opposite of being given over to sort of the wild nature because they're very much trying to keep it out at all costs. Um, even though the uh, the, uh, the the wildness is in their bodies as well. Um, so. Yeah, it's the the dynamic is very much about um, trying to keep a semblance of mm. uh, a society going of of normality, even and despite everything that's happened. I think. Yeah, I'd say it's almost the flip side to um, Lord of the Flies, mm. in as yeah. much as. Yeah, I think if it's an allegory or parable about anything, it's about repression and institutionalised <laughs> repression. You know, with Golding and Lord of the Flies, he clearly has this sort of fear and distrust about human nature and that, you know, left alone to voices, you know, children will become murderous savages. Whereas <laughs> I, I don't think that's what's going on here at all, really. No, um, it's... Um... Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's kind of, so it is about, like, girls, and it's quite concerned with girls and, I guess, like, the sort of wildness and dangerousness of girls and teenage girls. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's, um, that's very much within a framework of a very kind of, rigid and highly controlled boarding school sort of laced up boarding school setting um i mean in that way it reminded me in reading the book i kept thinking i would be enjoying this more if it was a visual novel if i'm honest i think it would make for a uh, brilliant visual novel um or a video game (laughs) i I had the exact same note (laughs) okay that's interesting because to me if it recalled anything it was Japanese survival horror um, mm-hmm. there are bits that are weirdly <laughs> um, similar to Resident Evil of all things 
uh, yeah. which I really wasn't expecting. But the kind of body horror elements really made me think of like Nemesis and stuff in Resident Evil. Um, but I guess particularly kind of PlayStation Two era Japanese survival mm. horror games like Rule of Rose. Um, so I don't know if you know Rule of Rose, which is a bit of an obscure one. Um, uh, no, I don't. But it, it's set within a all girls boarding school, and it's very much about the kind of secret societies and hierarchies um, within the school, and this power struggle between the girls and their kind of strange, slightly demonic rituals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I guess I, I actually ended up. Um, I think after I kind of made this connection, I ended up reading the second half, a <laughs> second half of the book while listening to the Silent Hill 2 soundtrack. <laughs> um, I, I genuinely think it improved it. Uh, I think yeah. it, really, it worked really well. Um, yeah, it has that kind of chilliness, I guess, or the kind of coldness mm. that those kind of games have. Like, you know, Fatal Frame as well. Um yeah. Maybe, I don't know, Parasite Eve. But yeah, that period specifically of Japanese survival horror just kept coming to <laughs> mind reading this book. Yeah, the, it actually, the game it actually reminded me of was a, a more recent one, which is um, Oxen Free. Oh, um, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, um, which is a 2016 one. It's a, a sort of indie mystery adventure narrative game, which about a, a group of teenagers on a little island kind of having odd supernatural experiences and trying to puzzle out what's happening. Um, and, and yeah, it, it did. And then making that comparison made me wish that World of Games was a, was a game instead of a novel. <laughs> because, okay. I, I, like, it's, it's kind of nice to hear that, that you, you had a very similar thought process. Yeah. Um, I think cause, cause the, the plot is fine, but I think the thing that's like pretty, it's very vivid and kind of exceptional about the book is the setting and mm. the way that Powers describes the transformation of the of the island and the wildlife and the girls all as one piece, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, you know, I could just imagine like a game where you're wandering around this island where things have changed and become strange and dangerous and you, you're trying to figure out what's happened. Um just yeah it's the setting is kind of so immersive and rich and yeah and you kind um, of want to walk through it you want those walking sim yeah elements yeah to it i think um it also reminded me in terms of the school politics of black closet if you know that one no um which is um another kind of i guess queer coded um I'm not that far into the game, so I don't want to speak to like like how I think there are lesbian relationships in the game, as far as mm. I can work out. Um, but it's a visual novel, which is all around being like the kind of, I don't know, top girl or prefect. And then you have to kind of, um, you've got this team of girls under you, you know, team of prefects. So you have to kind of use to keep the school in order and, <laughs> in a, you know, nip any kind of, uh, any scandals in the bud, basically. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, I think I think this is probably kind of why um I kind of enjoyed this book more on a first read than and kind of struggled to kind of engage with it on a on a reread. Because I think 
on the first read, even if I didn't find the plot particularly compelling, the kind of setting and the description kind of carried me through. Whereas mm. on a reread, it was more familiar. So not being very interested in the plot kind of <laughs> bogged me down. Yes. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think I bounced off Hetty as the main character. Mm-hmm. I think she would work really well as a playable character in a game. Um, I just find her a little bit of a blank slate, especially yeah. compared to Reese and Byatt, her friends, mm. who I think are more interesting. And occasionally the narrative voice changes to Byatt, and I, I preferred those chapters. Quite yeah, a I mean, Byatt's a, Byatt's a bit more of an interesting uh, proposition, right? She's got a bit more edge to her than, than yeah. Betty. Um yeah, who who does feel quite passive. Um Yeah, a lot happens to her. Um which is fine potentially. Um especially, you know, in, in a kind of horror novel, but hmm. I I don't know, I just felt like we spend a lot of time, you know, with with Hattie's first person narration. I never really get much of a sense of her outside her kind of wants and desires. You know, we have a clear sense of her strong feelings around Byatt and, mm. uh, you know, her strong feelings for Reese. Yeah. But outside of that, I don't, I don't really feel like I know her at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um... Um, and that, that meant, again, like, if I was playing her as a character <laughs> and she's more of an avatar, I think that would, that would be okay. Like, mm. you know, I've been... Um, uh, playing Planescape Torment for the first time because you can get it on the Xbox now and the mm-hmm. main character in that's a complete cipher and I don't know, sometimes that's frustrating but it's, it's fine because you know, you're 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 slotting into that, that role um, mm. but yeah, I, I guess I I was I always was looking forward to the, the Byatt chapters basically because I, I preferred her narrative voice Hmm. Yeah, and like the the thing uh, that that happens with Byatt is that she um because their um their infections come in waves and they kind of get they say oh I'm getting a a flare up and then they get a new symptom and uh, you never know what it's going to be and when Byatt gets her her second one it's uh, her voice becomes sort of I don't know like um. It hurts. It hurts her, and it hurts everyone who hears it. Mm. And then, and she gets taken away um, from the school to the um, to the, the the camp that's um, that's. Is the, is the camp? Sorry, I've forgotten. Is the camp off the island, or is it like? I was a little bit confused by that as island. well, actually. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I was very confused because they seem to think that it's on the island. Yeah, um, and then they obviously go to this this hut, which used to be Reese's house or Reese's dad's house, and they think maybe that's where it's going to be, and it's not. Um, so yeah, that that it's never made quite clear. I actually. think it is. I think it is on the island. The the uh, the the science little setup thing, but it's kind of. Far away from the school and out of the way, I think that's what's going on. And they and they take girls. They take girls there sometimes. 
<laughs> to uh, to uh, do tests on them and uh, try and figure out what the tox is. Um, so yeah, they, so they take bias away. But, um, and and it's interesting reading this, obviously, um, during I don't I was going to say you know post Corona, but with Omicron, it's still very much you know still, very much yeah. Yeah, um, I, I had it over Christmas, which oh, was did the sec- you? second time I've had oh. COVID. Um, I mean, you know, I guess I'd say get vaccinated because I know Omicron's meant to be uh, slightly less um, severe in terms of I think it's more tends to set up shop around the throat rather than really going into the lungs in the same way. Mm. Um, but I would say that, you know, it was far less severe than when I had it early on. Um, mm. like, you know, I remember the first time two years back, the exhaustion was ridiculous. You know, I was getting out of breath, going up and down the stairs. Um, mm. whereas it really Omicron, I, I mean, I don't know it was Omicron, but <laughs> whatever I had, um, over Christmas, um, I got positive tests back and it really did feel just like a severe cold, um, mm. which isn't to say, you know, if I'd been compromised in other ways, that could still be very serious. Um, yeah. You know, my my brother having very bad asthma has sort of stayed away and is still, you know, being very careful. Mm. Um, but I I do suspect that, you know, it was because I've had, you know, I've been had both injections and the booster. Um, yeah, and already so, been infected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So while I wasn't immune, um, mm. it really wasn't too bad. Um, but I, I I found it interesting reading this because. I'm not saying it's an anti-vaxxer book, uh, it's not, <laughs> but I can imagine reading it as an anti-vaxxer and finding it very resonant and maybe taking that away from it, um, because... Yeah, the, the kind of anti-science take you could get from it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the villains of the piece are mm. those who are trying to research and develop a vaccine, basically, uh, and <laughs> yeah. those who are using humans as test subjects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to know, um, you know, yeah, know if this has been reviewed and read by by anyone, um, yeah, who does, does hold that kind of opinion um, and viewpoint, because, because yeah, I, I kind of felt reading it that I can imagine it kind of being... <laughs> Being very resonant if if you if you if you did have that opinion, uh, which is interesting. I don't think that's the intention, obviously, but it it's certainly a book that's inevitably going to read very different in a COVID yeah. or post COVID world. Um, yes. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, because there is a um, there there's an undercurrent of this um, of the talks being um, that it's not just a disease that's kind of happens to be happening to these girls, but that it's kind of unlocking something within them. Right. That mm. it's kind of, kind of some sort of power that they have. That's, that's the tox is like latching onto, I guess. And that it's kind of, it's a little bit ambiguous in that it's obviously destructive, but it, it kind of, there's a part of it that gives them, this kind of power and uh, I don't know transformation in ways that aren't always 
wholly bad, I guess. Oh yeah, like mm. it. It. I mean, it seems like it's been loosely mapped onto, you know, maybe hormonal changes, or maybe emergent sexuality, or maybe mm-hmm. you know, like I say, it's loose. It's not <laughs> like it's there's like a clear one on one correlation, um, mm. but it definitely is linked to adolescent developments, particularly in teenage girls. Um, I'm not quite sure what it's doing with that, apart from maybe (laughs) trying to connect with how it feels, basically. So Mm. that it is connecting with the experience of going through those kind of developmental and hormonal changes and how that feels kind of emotionally and maybe on a physical level and the chemical level. Um, Hmm. You know, I don't know if it's making a political or <laughs> social point through that. I think it's maybe more just trying to kind of find a way into that. You know, maybe that's to connect with young adult readers yeah. you know, who are going to find some of that quite resonant. Yeah. Um, shall we do Texture of the Week? Yeah, okay. Um, oh, God, I... Just running oh, out of objects. Like, yeah, I know. Uh, and then there are objects desk, I worry so... about picking up. Um, <laughs> Let's say what's this. Okay, text. 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 Um, rather neat. There's uh, so as you mentioned, the uh, I forgot what it's called. The pox, the vox, the tox. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Got like a Doctor Zeus uh, story. (laughs) Um, That the tox has this effect on the wildlife as well as as the girls, and so you know bears and deer are kind of also transformed, um, Mm. and you know, and there's. A nice little description where uh, Hedy comes across a deer um, about two thirds into the book, and its its veins are described as like standing out, like the kind of pattern in lacing, mm. like the pattern in the piece of lace. Uh, and yeah, I found that really evocative. The idea of these sort of these veins is a really is a beautiful but grotesque image. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So yeah, um, that, I, I thought that was rather good. <laughs> yeah, mine's similar. It's um the the Raxter Blues slash Raxter irises, which are uh, the um the Raxter Blues are the crabs that live on the island. And uh, towards the start of the book, Byatt grabs one from the pond and uh, smashes it against the rocks. And Hetty narrates it says, uh, starting at the very tip of its claws, the blue shell is darkening, turning black like it's been dipped in ink. And when the Raxter irises are picked, um, they too turn black. And now it's happening with the girls as well. When they when they die, they turn black up to their knuckles. Nasty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty. I do do you like that that environmental detail a lot? Um, some of the images also remind me, um, I can't remember, did you, or possibly we read it together, uh, Black Hole by Charles Burns. <laughs> yeah, we, we read it in the in the borders in York. 
Ah, uh, before it closed down, because <laughs> people like us just sat there and read all the comics without buying them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know if it reminded you a bit of Black Hole, but... Um, yeah, um, I Teenagers I with the kind of body trends. Yeah, I'm really surprised I actually didn't make that connection, but it very much, very much is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it also... It's a bit like if the director David Cronenberg wrote a young adult novel for teenage girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, par- partly tonally, I think, like, it's quite a cold feeling book. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting because a lot of it is about female friendship and desire um, and, you know, romantic feelings. But for all of that, I found it a very chilly book. It really, it really is. Yeah, I mean, it, it yeah, just um, I mean, the the setting is, <laughs> the setting is chilly, um, and just the whole atmosphere of it just, mm. just feels uncomfortable and drafty and cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> the whole it's thing. written with a slight detachment at times. It's partly that Hetty as a protagonist gets kind of increasingly emotionally hardened over the course of the book. Mm. Um, so, you know, they has to do some quite take some quite hard actions. Yeah. Um, and also it's this idea of the the kind of viral or bacterial or parasitic transformations maybe being positive in some way. Um mm-hmm maybe unleashing something because you, you get that in Cronenberg whether in Shivers very early on and actually the kind of parasite is revealed to be quite like the little creature in in Shivers mm. this a worm-like parasite that's yeah um that's making these changes uh, but also it made me think of the fly and having the fly Jeff Brundle when he's turning into a fly at first says yeah. it's a pretty sweet deal you know, yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's, he's says swinging off, off the, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eating loads of sugar and swinging off the rafters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snapping people's arms off while arm wrestling them and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, so 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 he, he simultaneously kind of feels that he's got this new power and mm. this new freedom, but at the same time kind of knows that it's unleashing something very dark and maybe amoral within him. Mm. Um, is that that great, great line in it where he says about wanting to be the first insect politician? I'd like to become the first insect politician. <laughs> um. I'm, I'm glad I watched The Fly. I never want to watch it again. <laughs> it's it's great. It's, it's a very goopy film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Um, but, but there, are, there you know, there's some really Cronenbergian goopy body horror moments. It, so. <laughs> it, it rivals the fly for for just pure disgustingness. I think. Yeah, particularly points. this. I mean, I mentioned Hetty having uh, <laughs> having to take hard choices. Uh, what what's a harder choice to make than uh, spoiler alert? Um, <laughs> but having to kill your crush's dad. Yeah. So so um, uh, Reese is is the is the one girl in the school who actually. Was, uh, grew up on the island because her her father is the was the groundskeeper of the school. But he um uh he got the early in the talks he sort of 
wandered off into the woods and uh, they didn't see him again uh, until they go looking for Byatt in Reese's old uh, and her dad's old cabin. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, do you want to do you want to read that extra? <laughs> yeah, bit? yeah, I'm, I'm going to start start mm. from just a little bit earlier than than you said. Um, mm-hmm. He looks at me, cocks his head as he opens his mouth, takes a long, rattling breath. Black, splitting teeth, and a nest of green at the back of his throat. The air, musty and sour, so pungent I can taste it. I lift the shotgun, get ready to aim, but Reese shoves me away, looks up at me with a feral light in her eyes. Behind her, Mr Harker advancing, step by step, vines unspooling from his mouth. Don't you dare she says, and her voice breaks open, raw underneath. Please, I say, we have to run. It's too late. A vine rives up Reese's legs along her spine. Another curls around her arm, jerks it back, a cry and a crack of bone. Her right shoulder pops, hangs wrong in its socket. I lunge for her, grab my knife from my belt, slash once, twice the vines holding her. Mr. Harker shrieks, rears back and drags her with him. Hetty! Reese yells, the shotgun. When I fire into the heart of him, it makes no difference. He only roars and pulls tighter on Reese's arm, winds a vine around her throat and starts to squeeze. I could run. I could save myself and get back past the fence, back to the house. All I've got is my knife now, and what good is that against Mr. Harker? But there's no choice to make. I break for him, duck the thickest vine as it swings around, feel the thorns rip down my back, and there he is. I crash into him, and we tumble to the ground dirt in my mouth, the scrape of bark against my skin, my knife knocked from my hand and I scramble for it across the damp earth. A vine that locks around my ankle, yanks me onto my back. I graze my knife in my fingers but it's too far, I can't! And he's pulling me away. Reese, I call. Get it! But I can't find her, can't see anything but the looming dark as Mr. Harker bears down and his bruised hands, spongy with rot, close around my throat. I thrash, Try to throw him off, and his grip only tightens. Branches snake around my waist, holding me down. And one slithers up my neck, wrenches a scream from me as it hooks around my jaw and pries my mouth open. It's bitter on my tongue, and I'm choking, scrabbling at Mr. Harker's bloated face. His skin peels off like strips of paper, gathering under my nails, soft and pulpy. Hey! I hear Reese yell. For an instant, the pressure lessens before Reese's silver hand flashes above, the knife deep in his shoulder. She slams into her dad, sends him reading back onto the ground. Quick! I say, pin him! But Reese is just looking at him, her mouth open. She's no use, not anymore. I throw myself down, trap Mr. Harker's ribs between my knees and pin him to the ground. He roars, muscles straining, and he's looking at me. I know he is, me and Reese's dad face to face. I cry out as his body surges up. The bristle and spray of branches, thorns, scoring a gash down my arm. I get a good grip on my knife, pull it out of his shoulder and plunge it into his chest, flesh splitting and rising like foam. Bile bubbles up between my lips, trickles down my chin as I work the blade, widen the rip in his skin. Don't! Reese cries from behind me, but I can't listen. It's not him anymore. I lean hard. Brace my hand on his elbow as I wedge the knife deeper and deeper and start to lever it up. There's a heart to all this, there has to be. Blackened blood weeping down over my fingers, knife blade duller than I thought. 
but I've got a seam opening in him, and he's getting weaker. Smaller roots are snapping, breaking away. At last, I rip the knife out, toss it aside, and dig through his shredded skin. He's rotting from the inside out, tissue mottled with mould, a smell so sour and stinging that my eye is watering. Something scuttles up my jacket sleeve, first one and then another and another, and in the red light of the flare, I make out the gleam of a hundred wingback beetles crawling out of the wound. I choke back a yell, and before I can move, a vine slinks up my back and knots around my neck, squeezing tighter and tighter, splinters jabbing sharp pain spinning across me in waves. But he's weak now, blood pouring out of him. I grip the vine and break it in two, fling myself back at him, his face pulling apart as his mouth opens wider and wider. I shove my hand deep into his chest again, bear down with my whole body until I hit what I think is bone. But a glimmer of the flare light and they're not bones, they're branches, spindled ribs, curving and cresting. I hook my fingers underneath them, wedge my knee under his chin and pull, inch by inch, until finally, a snap, and inside his ribcage I see it, a beating heart glossed in blood, built from the earth, from the bristle of pine, and inside there's something else, something more, something living, I don't think twice. Just claw at it with both hands, and it comes screaming out with a wet tear. Mm-hmm. Delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty strong stuff. Strong stuff, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. probably some of the strongest stuff we've read on this podcast, actually. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even know what you content warning it for, though, to be honest. Like, yeah. Like um, moldy <laughs> tree horror. Like, it's, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah, the real... Mm, mm, mm. I mean, it's very pungent, <laughs> and I think it works because the book is so cold and clinical. Like, it doesn't actually break out into these adjective-heavy descriptive passages very often. Um, mm-hmm. So when it does, they really work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how, how do you feel about how the body horrors used in this book? Um, I mean, it's the main stuff I enjoyed, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> because I didn't really latch onto the characters that much, um, I wasn't. Mm. I wasn't as invested in their relationships as I wanted to be. You know, like yeah. I know I'm not saying I care at all, but I wasn't <laughs> as invested as as I thought I could have been. Um, mm. But the body horror stuff's pretty effective. Um, so actually, yeah, I think when that comes, that's rather good. And um, I say I do like the Bayat chapters because the writing, because she's been sedated and put under and is coming back to consciousness. Um, they have this kind of feverish quality. The writing becomes quite splintered and fragmented. And actually, I, I hmm. thought that was, again, quite quite effective. Yeah. How, how about you? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's, I, it's, I think the body horror is one of the most compelling parts of the book. Um, and I think uh, Power, Rory Power, does it very, very well. Um I thought it would be kind of interesting to compare it to um, when we were talking about Al of Salem yes. and um, 
uh, how how Shreve um, sort of had this quite different approach to to body horror in that book um, of kind of approaching it from the inside from the <laughs> from Z's perspective as the person who is uh, falling apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then th- this is 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 much more. The, the spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I think I think Out of Salem is a more deeply empathetic book. Like mm-hmm. I I like Out of Salem more. Um and that's partly because I think it's more I don't know, the 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 both the kind of friendship and the I guess there's there's less out you know there's some romantic stuff in that saying but the 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 feelings um in in Salem <laughs> really really rang true for me like you know I I mm-hmm. was very convinced by all of that and I felt very emotionally invested in those characters um in a way that yeah. I, I didn't personally with Wilder Girls um yeah. now yeah I, yeah I agree. That, that that might be because the nature of the book is that everything is quite repressed to an extent, right? It's, mm. you, you know, these characters have been kind of made to hold a lot in check and to behave in certain ways. Um, so there's a lot of kind of simmering tension, which then kind of breaks out in the body horror, I suppose. Um, mm. And that, that clearly worked I mean, worked I did sort of, of kind of, yeah, I mean, I did kind of relate to it as, I mean, thankfully, I didn't go to a boarding school. No, I was good. I was going. I was going um, to say, you, but, you um, <laughs> thank heavens. Yeah, but I did go to a pretty uh, prim and proper girls' school, um, <laughs> and uh, I think the, uh, the sort of repressive atmosphere of that uh, is, uh, is definitely, uh, uh, you know, I can definitely yeah. see parallels <laughs> in this. Although book. <laughs> that that said, I do remember you, you saying that you and your friends took like a frozen chicken or turkey on the underground and <laughs> sang songs about it. So I, don't, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you were entirely I mean... impressed. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, yes. I wasn't very on board with No, the, I, I, uh, I feel like with the, the young lady, uh, Molding of the, yeah. the school was trying to do. I, I think. I think it sounds like you did a pretty good job pushing against, pushing back against. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, like, um, it sounds. It sounds like there were there were antics. Definitely antics, but st- it was still. Um, I still uh, think my my experience of school and teenage and teenage friendships was quite um, emotionally. It's quite emotionally cold. Yeah, I think. And uh, I think that, um, so I kind of related to that in this book. It also made me uncomfortable. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, um, I don't, I don't know. It's complicated. It's I think. Yeah. I, uh, I guess it's. As an adult, I feel much more, um, I feel much more, uh, uh, I relate a lot more to the to the relationships in Out of Salem. Mm. I feel, yeah, like that. That, that's interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, you're probably more self actualized um, in a lot of ways, right? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and um. yeah, I think one of the, it's like the girl was in this book. I haven't really almost been a thought. I don't want to say the privilege of self actualization, but it's like because they've had to kind of focus on survival. Like mm. it's like it's. I don't want to say. It's almost like they've had to put some of their emotional development to one side, or they kind of say, you know, that 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 they haven't been able to spend much time looking inside themselves, mm. because they've been having to focus on when the next meal's coming and stuff. Um, like, I don't know. Is that hard to explain? Yeah. Or like, like not to say that you can't, even if you're in a situation where you've not got much food and things, not to say that you know you you can't also do that work. But I think the way mm. it's written. There's a lot. They're very much reacting to what what's happening. Yeah, and there's a lot of like Hetty as the narrator, like saying that, like she hasn't been able to. You know, there's a lot of like this has brought up certain emotions, but I just don't have the time to deal with them. So mm-hmm. we'll put that to one side. Yeah. Like there's a lot of that in the kind of narrative voice. Yeah. Um, which. I don't know, maybe it's another reason why I think it would work better as a visual novel or a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but say, I, I, personal and clearly I'm in the minority, right? Because this is this is a really successful <laughs> book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know when um, I said at first, oh, I'm not that keen. You were like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's not, you know, basically I'm not going to be affecting the sales. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's done very well. Um, so um it's clearly resonated with with a lot of people mm. um uh, and yeah yeah um i was wondering if you were going to uh well pick up on the uh, the element of uh, climate change horror but oh in this book. yeah that's a good point i mean it it's it's interesting because it's there, but it's very enfolded into it, I guess. I mean, I've also seen uh, comparisons between this and uh, Jeff Vandermeer's stuff, like Annihilation, for mm-hmm. instance. I think it's... I haven't actually read... It. I've got several copies that, you know, my, my friend Ali, or our mutual friend Ali, has bought me some Vandermeer in the past, and, you know, I've mm. never actually managed to go on and read it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I have read the synopses of his stuff. <laughs> Um, and it seems similar in that climate change is kind of there but not there like you know it's it's sort of enfolded into the narrative like you know Mm. it gets mentioned but it's not you know it's not like the preoccupying concern but there's definitely like this sense that the creatures on the island have already started to adapting to climate change and that this is just another form of adaptation. Yeah, I've um, I've got a, a, an extract that where the, this comes up. It's um it's at, at the end of the book where um Reese and Hetty find the records that the scientists have been keeping. Um it says I thought I recognised this, she says, and lays out the pieces of paper. Twin graphs of analysis printed below in text so small I'd need a magnifying glass to make it out. It tracks the climate, Reese explains, pointing to one axis where years are listed. The year of the tox is highlighted on one copy, yellow ink faded and bleeding. The average temperature on Rackstock over time. Look, it goes way back. 
one copy in the school records and another here in a makeshift hospital pinned to by its bed. And there it is, climate changing, the temperature rising. I read once about creatures trapped in the Arctic ice, prehistoric, ancient things coming awake as the ice melts. In Maine, on Raxter, a parasite slowly reaching into the weakest things, the irises, the crabs, until it was strong enough to reach into the wilderness, into us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, but, now, now I'm just worrying about the blob. <laughs> Which one? The blob the, that ate everything? The, the, as in, beware of the blob. It, you know, it creeps and seeps and glides and slides. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the famous the famous blob. Like, the famous blob? The, yeah, the, the one that, like, monster blood in Goosebumps is copying. Um Oh, okay. Like, like oh, from the nineteen fifties, and they redid it in the eighties. Oh. Because the way they defeat the blob is they just freeze it in ice and put it in the Arctic. But obviously, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's oh. that's what people should be worrying about with climate change. You know, when's the blob going to be thawed and allowed back out? Yeah, I mean, are people paying attention to that? It's... I don't think so. Um, <laughs> they should be. They should be. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Maybe that's, Makes that's what, what the next Extinction Rebellion campaign should be about, actually. I, should, I need, to, <laughs> need to get back involved just so I can, I can you know, <laughs> suggest that. <laughs> Trip to the Arctic, <laughs> secure the blood. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it's, mm. it's it's got a good bear confrontation near the end as well. Um, oh, there's a mm. hor- horrible business with um, like basically the scientists, the evil scientists are just like, oh, once these girls are no longer useful as our, as research subjects, we better just kill them all. Um, so the navy drop off like a canister of poison. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. Which the headmistress then puts in the sprinkler system. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that, that's quite upsetting. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, uh, yeah. I thought that was one of one of the most. I was quite shocked actually. It went there, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah. Like, and I was you know, not saying it shouldn't, but uh, yeah, that that was the one bit of the book that you know I was like, oh, okay, that's 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 really <laughs> horrific. Um, it, yeah. So yeah, you know, it's it's got some very dark stuff in it. Like it's hmm. it is very much a young adult book, but I I wouldn't want anyone preteen. Like I wouldn't, you know, I I don't know. For instance, I probably would, or maybe will, um, recommend it to my stepdaughter. But my ten year old stepson, it would be too much for him. Yeah. Like yeah, it's definitely a teenage book rather than a younger children's book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope there is a film of it actually because even though I've got my reservations mm. um, I do think you can make a very good ad- adaptation of it definitely yeah yeah I agree um, yeah I mean such a such a moody setting like if mm. you've um, got a director who knows what they're doing then it could be really great yeah yeah, yeah oh actually yeah. Um, I tell you who would Lynn Ramsey would do an amazing adaptation? Have you seen much Lynn Ramsey? Who, who? Um, I don't know. She did. We need to talk about Kevin. 
Oh, no, and I haven't. You were never really here, which is the Joaquin Phoenix one, and Ratcatcher, which is great, which is her first film. Um, mm-hmm. She's uh. quite, she's got this odd combination of being very alive to textures, being very sensory, but also very cold. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she would, she would really, Lynn Ramsey, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, which is astronomically <laughs> unlikely, but yeah, please do adapt this because yeah, she'd do a great job of this. Oh, she's a glass region as well. Yeah, yeah, so. she is. Yeah. yeah, you should go round, go round to her house. <laughs> Lynn Ramsey, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, so... Oh, I- I think that's all my notes. Um, yeah. Um, really, uh, more, more, uh, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not that much know. fun. It's not, it's not much fun. <laughs> if I'm honest, no, it's I, not I think, much fun. No, I, I think, I think that was also why I struggled with re- rereading it during the pandemic and mm. just being like, oh, Oh. <laughs> this is a bit uh this is a bit sad and, and horrible yeah <laughs> when everything's a bit sad and horrible yeah like if you compare it to other ones we've done like say the devil walks the Anne fine one we did a while back mm. like which had a kind of ghoulish you know was had a kind of ghoulish fun to it um yeah <laughs> you know or obviously goosebumps and things like that yeah th- this is pretty humorless, I would say. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty serious. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, even I mean, and kind of body horror is is a sort of something that kind of often tips over into camp, right? Like, yeah, like uh, yeah, I'd say so. Which, <laughs> like body horror is definitely one of the most scary forms of horror because you know we all have bodies, so it, it's very mm-hmm. relatable, but. A lot of body horror but, gets quite silly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, but, brain dead's a body horror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, and... Uh, um, so yeah, I, I mean, decide if you want to read this. Um, if you want something kind of a bit fun, probably not. <laughs> probably not this one. If you want something kind of very... That, that's kind of serious and textured and chilly and atmospheric mm. then uh, this is a good book for you yeah yeah I'd agree and I think I think mm. we're probably um, oh I don't know if we're meant to be meant because oh, we, we, we wanted to keep it secret didn't you what we're doing next <laughs> yeah okay yeah. well well we'll we'll keep secret but uh, let, 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 let's let's just say that uh, what we're looking at uh, has managed to traumatise a whole generation of children. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you can uh, draw your own conclusions <laughs> from that. <laughs> oh, um, do you... Oh, I should do, I should do the credits. Oh, yeah, yeah, credit when credit's due. <laughs> yeah, credit when credit's due. And uh, our, um, our theme music is by Maki Yamazaki. Our artwork is by Letty Wilson. And uh, ending music is by Joe Kelly. Um, uh, the details to links to their work will be in the show notes. And you can email us at stillscaredpodcast at gmail.com or um, 
follow us on Twitter at Still Scared Pod. And um, if you like what we're doing, um, can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're shallow, fickle creatures. You know, positive, positive <laughs> reviews can only encourage us. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a solo for us, Adam? Yeah. Be wilder, creepy kids. Hey, be wilder. <laughs> Catch you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.